Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have my co-hosts here, Rahul and Alex from Connecticut and uh, Maine, respectively. Uh, good to have you guys back. Uh, Rahul, how's it going? It's going well. Alex, I apologize. I could record while you were taking a, a sip, so uh, hopefully you've recovered from that. <laughs> Yes, Alex, how's um, it going for you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm, we squeaked out a win, and it's a Champions League week. Um, so I, as I mentioned before, uh, I'm now in the time of the year where rather than uh, the Champions League interfering with my classes, my <laughs> classes are interfering with the Champions League, but I'm excited. For Alex's dad, I think he meant that in reverse. Let's make sure we clarify that. But no, you're right. You're absolutely right. It does play in the afternoons in the U.S. For all of us here in the East Coast, I think the kickoff is around 2 or 3 o'clock. And of course, as you go across to the uh, Western time zone as well, it does eat into our lunch break. But uh, Champions League is back, but we'll hold off on that for just a second because we do have to review our game this weekend in the Premier League. And Rahul, I'll start with you. It was our first game back in the Premier League after... Four games, five games, I want to say. Uh, almost a month, actually. We played Spurs. Yeah. Uh, I think it was January 22nd, 23rd. So almost a month ba- uh, between the two games. Yep. So we go from one London rival to another run- London rival. We're going from Spurs to Crystal Palace. And it was a tough game, guys. It was one of those games where I think Crystal Palace wanted to give us a good game. Uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty, of course, Alex has alluded to us squeaking out a win I'll maybe take us through the starting 11. Yeah, so from the heat of Abu Dhabi, as uh, Tuchel mentioned, to the cold, uh, rainy, windy uh, Selhurst Park in, in, in London. And so he picked Mendy, Christensen at right back, uh, Thiago Silva, Rudiger as their center backs, Malangsar in his newly found left back position, uh, N'Golo Kante, Jorginho in midfield along with maybe Pulisic, and, and we'll dissect uh, the uh, uh, formation. And up top, we had Kai Havertz, Lukaku, and Hakim Ziyech. Yeah, so good lineup, I think. He's got who he can pick based on, of course, fitness and a few things. Of course, Mason Mount was out due to injury. Alex, was this a 4-3-3? Was this a 4-2-3-1? What were you able to make of it? Because different news outlets are reporting different things. Yeah, it was certainly uh, an unconventional formation of, of sorts, and those positions were a little bit odd. Um, I mean, I would say almost a 4-2-1-3 at times, with Polisic sort of drifting um, just behind that forward line, but it was not really... It was not really something we'd seen before um, with Polisic playing sort of centrally in midfield and Havertz pushed out wide on the left. Obviously, uh, as we mentioned, Christensen at right back is unusual. So definitely a few weird little tweaks. Um, and I, I don't think, I, I mean, we didn't look, we didn't look horrible as a whole, but I can't help but wonder, would we have just been that little bit more effective if, say, Christian Pulisic had been allowed to play in his more natural left wing position? And that's something while watching um, that I was uh, a little disappointed in because we know he's effective from a few positions but I was really hoping he'd get a good chance at left wing especially given his goal record um, at left wing uh, let alone against Crystal Palace specifically. Yeah I mean I think you highlighted it really well because one of the things I noticed watching that game was 
Kai Havertz almost hugged that left wing position and Pulisic playing more centrally. And you wonder, just a quick swap between the two might seem more natural for Pulisic and even for Kai Havertz playing a little more in the middle behind the striker, almost as a second striker or, you know, touching Lukaku almost trying to get in and around the goals. But look, I think Tuchel knows what he's got in mind. I think he's watching something in training. Maybe he thinks Havertz is doing well on the left. Pulisic can be nimble right behind the striker. I don't know, Rahul. Maybe talk about Christensen at right back. I don't think I've seen him play right back before. Not that he was terrible at the position. It just, it seemed odd, I guess, is it's, it was what I kind of observed. Yeah, it was odd, but I think it just came down to we were out of options and we had four <laughs> fit center backs. And so he had to fit uh, Christensen at right back and Malang Sar at left back, which allowed Rudiger and Thiago Silva to play in their natural yeah. positions. Uh, but hopefully Aspilicueta comes back from uh, the little knock that he's picked up. And what we're hearing is Reese James should be joining uh, training with the first team squad towards the end of next week. So things are looking up, but Christensen did a pretty decent job in, in that position. Yeah, he did. I mean, he he did what he could, given that it's a relatively new position for him. I actually saw him push up a couple of times and I was yeah. like, okay, he's, he's supporting the attack <laughs> through there. But uh, of course, we've talked about the game a little bit in bits and pieces here. How did you guys make of that first half? Alex, I'll start with you, because for me, I don't know if too much really materialized in that first half. Yeah, I don't think it was a particularly impressive half. Um, I mean, a few chances sort of fell our way and a couple for Crystal Palace as well. Um, they, they're predictably their most dangerous link up seem to be Elise and, uh, Zaha, who yep. both of whom we know have great technical ability and can be very dangerous to deal with. Um, so they were providing a serious counterattacking threat. Uh, meanwhile, we didn't get too much joy in that first half. We had, we had, we had some chances for sure. Um, but it, it just wasn't really free flowing attacking, uh, play I'd say it was a little a little more cautious and reserved um, Pulisic I, I believe it, it was in the first half he he had a bit of a chance where the ball was coming across the goal um, he wasn't able to keep his shot down um, that could have been a could have been a good chance I think it was a little unlucky because the ball was bouncing and and sort of just it was airborne I guess um, and he had to stretch for it and just couldn't get solid contact but I, I have to say it was a little bit more of the same of what we've seen from these, these Chelsea first half performances. Um, it almost reminds me, frankly, of the U S men's national team uh, just consistently uh, being a little better in the second half than in the first. Um, because I mean, I guess for Chelsea, I, and I, I don't want to sound like a downer here because we've won a, f- a fair number of games <laughs> on the bounce. Now we, we just came off a club world cup win. We're champions of the world. And we just came off a win in this game, but for Chelsea, you don't, you almost don't even know what half we're going to play well. And yet it's usually a given that we're not going to play both halves extremely well. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I think we're still looking for that system and that fluidity and that lineup that gives us some consistency and some joy because it was just not entirely what we would have wanted to see out there. Yeah, I think that's a good way of summarizing it. And I think what I can take from it, at least a silver lining, as we continue to not lose games, I think that's something we highlighted all through December and even January, that yet the performances are not where we want them to be, but this team seems to carve out a result at the very least, and we'll get into the goal in the second half. But Rahul, like Alex said, you know, nothing too 
amazing to report, but Crystal Palace, and I think Alex touched on Alicia, maybe if I'm saying his name right, uh, bright young spark, looked excellent throughout the whole game. In fact, he and Zaha together on the counterattack had quite a few chances in, in one of those things that maybe made your heart skip a few times. But other than all those things going on, anybody stand out to you in that first half? Not, not particularly. The standout moment, I guess, would be Rudiger's shot, which he takes from uh, a distance. And uh, the commentator said he, every once in a while he takes these shots. And I, I'd like to correct him. I think Rudiger attempts and takes this shot every game. Uh, in one of these days, it will come off and it'll it'll be a screamer that he scores because he's been knocking that door. And maybe it's in the final yeah. next week. I'll keep my fingers crossed. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, nothing more to report. I think uh, Crystal Palace did well defending and in, in, in keeping the spaces off uh, or keeping the spaces out for attackers and forcing the play through the likes of Rudiger and, and to, to an extent, Jorginho. But uh, we ourselves weren't convincing, so it, it almost made Crystal Palace look better. Yeah, fair enough. And we go into the second half, you know, go nail-nail, coming in, starting off. Um, we're wondering what's going to happen, how the game's going to play out. And for a split moment in that second half, I actually got off my seat because there's a little bit of exciting play. Hakim Ziyech manages to get a goal in the net. But Alex, I don't know if you had a chance to see how that all played down, but maybe you can tell us what happened with that goal. Yeah, I saw the the Lukaku uh, had made a run and eventually a, the, a shot, uh, I believe that was the time his shot was saved. The rebound is loose. Ziek eventually puts it in the net, but then it's called back for a Lukaku offside. Um, and that was, that was certainly a dampener because at that point, the game was getting later. We thought yeah. we finally had the breakthrough. And when we hadn't been playing super convincingly, you think to yourself, was that our only chance? Um, that, that was definitely a tough one. And I think as much as you can't really blame any one player for an offside call, we've seen that all the time. Frankly, I, I've, I'm sure I've seen... A lot of us have seen plenty of jokes about Timo Werner and the amount of time he spends offside with his darting runs. Um, but I think that call was a point of a little bit of frustration towards Lukaku by Chelsea fans, given that he had really not offered too much for the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, that was a situation where he finally found a way to make a run. And Rahul, I'll come to you about this. Uh, find, to get, find a way to get a shot off. And of course, he's offside. Uh, to Alex's point, not blaming him, blaming him for the offside. But other than that moment, I don't really remember Lukaku making a run or I don't want to be too critical, even controlling the ball well enough to get others into the game. What are your thoughts on his performance for this particular game? And again, so far in the season, are we seeing what we're going to get out of Lukaku? Is there more to come? What do we do from here? It's... It's, it's something we touch on every episode now. It's like Lukaku yeah. is just a segment that we have to talk about. Uh, either he's scoring and we're talking about how he gets the goal or he's not doing enough. And, and on the not doing enough part, obviously we, we want more. And Alex has said it, even when he's not scoring, you want to see him just involved in the play. Uh, I, I see it as twofold, right? He needs to do more, but we need to do more as a squad to find him when he's making some of these runs that may not get noticed on camera uh, or because he doesn't get the ball, he, he drifts offside and uh, it doesn't make sense to give him the ball. But I think he is 
trying and making some of the runs or giving our defenders and our, our midfielders the option. And we covered this last year too, if you remember with Tammy Abraham, we would not release that ball fast enough. If you think back to a few seasons ago, I think it was Lampard's first season, Jorginho against Watford played a brilliant ball in behind the defense for, for Tammy Abraham. And then we never really saw that happen much more. I think similarly with Lukaku, he's giving the option. He's saying, okay, play it in behind. I'll run off. I have the strength. I have the, I have the speed. But we tend to go, okay, if we, we'll go wide to Hakim Ziyech. We'll go wide to Kai Havertz. Or we'll go wide to our wingbacks if they're playing. And sometimes I think we just need to go for that killer ball and surprise the defenders and surprise even Lukaku because I know he says, I'm going to make that run. But half of it in his mind, he's like, that ball's not going to come. And I think that's where the frustration comes from is we just expect to find Lukaku all the time, but we need to make that attempt as a squad and as a team and as a tactical setup to say, we're going to play Lukaku and faster than going just wide and, and keeping the possession. Alex, in the summertime, we talked about Lukaku being the missing piece or, or some people described him as the final piece to Tuchel's puzzle. Obviously, it hasn't necessarily worked out like that. You know, he's going to obviously take some time to settle in, find a perfect starting 11, get relationships with the other guys around him. But do you think this means we've invested $100 million in the summertime rather than Lukaku being the final piece to Tuchel's puzzle? Maybe he is what we build the remainder of the puzzle around, which a lot of people have said when you spend $100 million on a player like Lukaku. And to Rahul's points, you got to do what you can to support that type of player. I mean, certainly you you want to make sure you're putting him in a position to succeed, but I'm going to be honest, the entire time we were looking for a new striker, I will say, maybe not a hot take, <laughs> I was always a fan of one Erling Holland uh, and getting him into the club. I think his attributes fit Chelsea a little better in that he's a little bit more of a poacher, I would say. Right. Dangerous on transition, yes, but also just a clinical, dynamic, lethal finisher. And I think we've seen Lukaku with a lot of his goals at Inter last year being sort of on that transition. We saw fast breaks with him and Lautaro Martinez. Um, we saw him providing assists and, and whipping in crosses. And as, as Rahul mentioned, I don't think this, the Chelsea mode of attack, in, especially in recent games, has particularly suited him because, yes, we're maybe prioritizing possession over putting in a cutting ball that may or may not work to the striker. But at the same time, I think you have to look and say he had seven touches in that game. And I saw somewhere this, this might be wrong, but I saw somewhere that that's the lowest number of touches any outfield player who's played 90 plus minutes has registered in a game since they started collecting data back in, I think, 2003, 2004. Wow. So I, I do I do fully accept that I think the team needs to try to get him involved. And yet, when you see a stat like that, you have to say some part of that relies with the player. Because I kid you not, you could put me, Alex Mangola, up top <laughs> with the number nine kit for Chelsea, and I could find a way to get more than seven touches on the ball in the game. Would I get hammered, lose the ball instantly as soon as they passed it to me? Yes, but I think I could probably... And I, and I have not consistently been to the gym in months now, but I think I could probably jog and muster enough energy in 90 minutes to get eight touches. That is my bet. I could get eight touches. I think Lukaku just has to work more because he is a professional athlete. 
He is our hundred million pound man. He is our, I, I mean, record signing and a striker who claims that he is on a world-class level. He was in an interview last year saying people don't talk about me in the, the level of elite strikers with the other ones. And if you're going to claim to be an elite striker, you have to be able to get yourself involved, even if it means dropping a little deeper than you like, even if it means adjusting your play style a little bit or simply making your presence felt up top. I just don't think he's offering enough. And why that is, I don't know. But I think Tuchel sort of touched on that too afterwards when he was getting questions about whether the system suited Lukaku. And he said, the system isn't the problem here. I think that was maybe a, a thinly veiled remark saying that Rom has to offer a little bit more up top because seven touches in 90 minutes just isn't good enough. Well, you know, sometimes when we talk about these situations, we kind of skirt around the details. But I think what I love about Alex is he gets straight to the point, shares his opinion, and, and it, it's prompting a conversation. I think it's a very good conversation that we have every week on this podcast about situations that are happening at Chelsea. And one thing that pops to mind, you know, everything he said is it's, it's valid. They're true stat facts. They're true stats that are coming out. Lukaku's now got, I think, six games in a row, if I'm not mistaken, alongside Hakim Ziyech. You've got Hakim Ziyech, who's actually taken this chance, scoring goals, creating chances, having assists. These are things that show he wants to be in the team. Is it time for Lukaku to maybe take a seat and Timo Werner, who, of course, has had his own challenges, gets that six, seven game run that Lukaku has been given? Yes. I mean, uh, you'd say if it's not working up top with Lukaku, we've got, we've got to change it. And we've got a player uh, or another player in Kai Havertz I'd like to throw in that can play sure. in that central yeah. position um, and try something new. Now, the results are coming in, in the sense that we beat Spurs. We went away to the Club World Cup. We won that. We've come back. We've beaten Palace. Uh, the performances obviously aren't up to the standard that we want. And things do need to be changed shaken up a little bit but with the injuries with the lack of players available simply down to injuries congestion of games and, and other other things amongst uh Tuchel telling you that it's the weather conditions between Abu Dhabi and London um I I, I do think yes a change would be good because then it shows Timo Werner what's giving you the opportunity here to to make take a claim for this position and to Lukaku it's not working. We're going to bench you. You work harder. You come on when we, we ask you to and, and make the difference. Uh, but I think we'll have the similar issue with Timo Werner with not finding him early enough and not exploiting what he has, which is the pace uh, and the ability to run in behind defenders. Because we're simply, as a team, our attacking is very slow. We'd like to knock it around, play it around, do other things instead of saying, one touch, let's go, let's put them in behind, like Liverpool did with Allison and, and Mo Salah uh, this weekend. Uh, so I think Timo Werner is an option, but I don't think he's the answer until we switch up certain aspects of our play. Yeah, so slightly contrasting views on the whole Lukaku situation. It's not going to be the end of this debate. It's obviously something we like talking about. So if you're listening, you know, share your opinion with us. Let us know what you think. Should Lukaku be in the team? Should he be on the bench for a little bit? Is he the problem? Is it the formation? We're happy to hear your thoughts. But enough about Lukaku. I think we need to move on to Hakim Ziyech, the Wizard of London, and see how he saves us again in the Premier League. Alex, of course, he was ruled offside because of the Lukaku moment, which we talked about. 
but this particular goal, right place, right time, or is he just doing things correctly to be there? Yeah, he's certainly doing things right. And you see him constantly creating danger. And that's where even when he's not, when the goals aren't necessarily falling perfectly for him, he got one ruled out. Um, he then kept repeatedly putting in the effort to be in the right place. Um, towards the end of the game, I think 89th minute, he gets on the end of an absolutely um, pinpoint uh, little cross and just ball falls to his feet, makes no mistake, left foot right through the, goal, uh, the goalkeeper's legs. And that's, that's just perfect precision technique. That, that's exactly what you want. Frankly, that's the kind of finish you'd want your striker to be making regularly. Um, but that kind of back post finish is, is exactly what you'd want from a winger. Um, we've seen, I think, in, in back ages ago when Christian Pulisic used to play on the left wing, uh, we've seen Christian Pulisic bag a few goals just by cleaning up at the back post. And I think that's a really valuable thing um, for any winger to be able to crash the net and just get it in. Um, because, you know, you're not always going to be able to work through your number nine. And certainly this game, we weren't able to. Um, and I think, I think Ziek is, as you were mentioning, the perfect example of a player who has taken the run of games given to him and asserted his dominance, asserted his authority and said, the right wing spot is mine until further notice because he is doing everything right. And he is just being dynamic. His off the ball work rate has been impressive. I'd say it's certainly improved. Um, and he is basically giving every signal that Lukaku is not in that he wants to be out there. He wants to fight and he wants to get involved. So full credit to Ziyech. I think he's proved a lot of people, including probably us yeah. uh, wrong in terms of, you know, I mean, I think maybe he did get some deserved criticism earlier on when he wasn't quite giving that sort of effort um, that we could tell, but now he's really just seems to have turned a corner. I think I saw someone mentioning that the, uh, the Moroccan coach, really rejected Ziek from uh, AFCON, left him out of the lineup as a, a mind game to, to get him to turn into prime Ronaldinho <laughs> or something like that. So, you know, if it's working, it's working. And I will, I will take the Wizard of London any day. Yeah, look, and on his current form, Rahul, I don't see anybody else taking that right wing position away from him. But a question I have for you is, you look back to October, November, you know, he got injured early on in the season. He had a couple of chances here and there and really wasn't able to perform. He was out of form at that time. Did you think he was going to change his season around the way he has done in recent games? Did you, did you even think that Ziyech was going to be an integral part of the season as, as time has moved on? I didn't, and, and I think it was about a month ago or maybe six weeks at this time where uh, I said he was a player that needed to feel like he was the man and, and the person and the main man in the squad and, and the team uh, and it wasn't working out because at Ajax, he was that main man. And uh, he's swiftly and, and, and rightly so shut me up and shut up others that were doubting him. Uh, you guys alluded to it, but a goal against Brighton, which was uh, in the Premier League, a goal against Spurs, and now a goal again in the, in, against Palace, which is three consecutive Premier League games where he's uh, performed and, and put in a goal, not just performance. So uh, that's what you expect, right? You you want players to respond. You want players to respond on the pitch, not not through an interview or, or on Instagram saying, well, I'll fix this or I'll come back and, and do this. Um, and he's now becoming one of those players where you say, I think Ziyech just is going to start because he's in good form. He has the goal threat. And if not, he's going to create something out of nothing, which is what you want. And I also think the switch to the back four or, or whatever the switch has been uh, with 
using real wingers and not using wingbacks as wingers is, is benefiting him. And you saw when we switched back to the back three in the final of the Club World Cup, he was dropped. That could be down to just resting him too. But I think his preferred formation or his preferred system is in that four-man defense because it allows him to play as, the, as in a more comfortable position. Yeah, I think you said it well, because Tuchel repeated the same thing for Hakim Ziyech, saying he plays better in that formation almost as a wide winger. And it seems to suit him. And hopefully, if he continues in this form, maybe we keep that going and that'd be great. But speaking of form, Alex, the game ends 1-0. And that's the first time we walk away with three points back-to-back in the Premier League since October. Good enough for Chelsea? Uh, I mean, certainly not in terms of the results that we just haven't been able to close out. And we've seen that I think Manchester city and Chelsea have now lost the same number of games, but we're now 13 points behind them with a game in hand um, just due to those draws. And I think this is a situation where you say, you know, I'm, I am glad we haven't been losing games. Like in fairness, I was looking back and I think, I think we've lost maybe three games this entire season. So I will say, maybe maybe even compared to some of our, our rival clubs, I think it's nice how high the standards of the Chelsea fan base are that we're sitting down and having heated panel discussions every week about poor performances and underachievers. Meanwhile, we've lost three games all season in all competitions. Um, so I will say, I think that says our, our standards are in the right place, but due to that, I, I do not think we're, we're quite we have been quite good enough. And, you know, if we're still getting the results, we're getting the results. And at a certain point, I'm, I'm willing to say an ugly one nil win is still a win. Um, because at the end of the day, now looking back, you're not looking at the table and seeing all those results. You're just seeing the draws that we weren't able to squeak a late winner in, or that we weren't able to push that little extra bit. Um, so at the end of the day, it is just results-based, and I think we need to do a little more. But on, on, on the current trajectory, it might not always be pretty, but we are getting the results, and I will take that over more aesthetic play and then just getting draws. No, I like how the way you said that because it, it, it makes us understand as Chelsea fans that our standards are extremely high. Rahul, I mean, we always want to see not just the win, as Alex is alluding to, but almost playing teams off the pitch and saying we are Chelsea we're here to stay we know what we're doing and so since we're not getting that we're complaining but maybe a quick wrapping up thought from you Rahul and then we'll move on to some of the other games in the in the Premier League. I agree with Alex I think last year we were complaining about how many games we were losing this year we're complaining about how many great games we're drawing Uh, and the difference between either drawing losing or winning is getting an extra goal uh, which on a different day in a different situation we would have and we would be higher up the table, but uh, progress is still there to be seen. We were last year sitting, I think, eighth or ninth or something like that. We're now sitting in third and almost don't seem to be in a top four battle. Now, I don't want to speak too soon, but uh, hopefully that's something that we solidify over the next few weeks and then we can focus on some of the other competitions. Yeah, absolutely. But take us through some of the results around the Premier League this week. So it was a busy week of uh, Premier League games that all 20 teams played, but uh, I'll start with the league leaders in Man City uh, getting a visit from Antonio Conte and Spurs. And on paper, looking at the last few results, you would say this is an easy win for Man City, but nothing's easy in the Premier League. And 
this certainly didn't prove to be an easy game for them. So Man City lose the game three too, but uh, the drama comes in in the form of VAR decisions and, and Man City coming back and making it two two. But I think it was about ten minutes to go, and Spurs going back up to the other side and, and banging in a, a winner around the eighty seventh minute, I believe, from Harry Kane, uh, and. A real surprise. I think you and I were watching it at the same time, obviously not together, but just texting and saying, what the hell is going on with Man City? <laughs> so I'll let you cover cover them and then maybe Alex can say a couple of nice things about Spurs for once. <laughs> Look, the, the game overall I thought was extremely exciting. It's what we watched the Premier League for. Back and forth, a lot of chances. Of course, some issues with VAR, but I think for the most part, they got the calls correct in this particular situation. I think I'm going to spend my time because I don't think Alex will give a lot of praise to Spurs. We know where his heart lies, but I'll spend my time on Harry Kane, guys. I thought that his gameplay is back to the Harry Kane of old where he was dominating in midfield. He was getting on the end of crosses. He was getting stuck in and being a little nasty where he needed to. And I thought he pretty much carried this Tottenham Hotspurs team. That's not to say each of these guys didn't put in their 100%. Obviously, Antonio Conte demands that from them. But for the Manchester City side, you could see that it wasn't that they weren't trying, just it, it wasn't going for them today. And that happens sometimes, and it's just, it can be a tough day at the office. I wonder if they'll come back and bounce from here. But uh, we'll talk about Liverpool later and then go through the table, because I think this is going to lead for an interesting finish towards the end of the Premier League. But Alex, any lovely words for Antonio Conte and Spurs? Or? I'll, I'll, I'll save my words for Antonio Conte and Spurs <laughs> for another time. But I will say, and maybe this is a hot take, maybe not, uh, maybe maybe I'll get slandered for this one. I would snap my fingers and swap Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku if I could, um, because I think, frankly, and and we know we know this would never happen. We know the rivalry between the clubs and Daniel Levy being extremely stubborn, um, and and Lukaku probably not wanting to go to Spurs, even if that is to follow his old manager Conte. All I have to say is, I feel like both. Both teams could have benefited from that in that Chelsea, then uh, Harry Kane, certainly, I think hopefully, I don't, we, we, we never know, but he probably wants some trophies before he retires. We know he's not getting that at Spurs. And Chelsea would like a striker who doesn't act like they're sitting in a chair for 90 minutes. So personally, I would be more than happy. I think Harry Kane could get more than seven touches throughout a game. He drops a little deeper. He's got some link-up play. That's that's my hot take of the day. I would swap Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku in a heartbeat. Um, I just think he he has had times of tough form. I, he was really struggling to score earlier on this season, and yet he offers a little more than just the goal scoring, um, and I think that's key. But you know, good good game. That's exactly what you want your striker to do: be there, get those get those key poachers finishes right when they're called upon, um, and you know. Congrats to Spurs. Impressive win. I, I wouldn't be saying that if I felt threatened by them. So congrats to Spurs for, uh, for helping us out a little there and maybe keeping that title race alive. Yeah, absolutely. And at the risk of the same backlash that Alex may have, I, I might also be interested in that swap. So if Chelsea and Tottenham board is listening and there's a way to make that happen and the players are interested, uh, we're here for it, I think. Raul, I wouldn't <laughs> speak for you, but maybe you can take us through the other games that were going on. Yeah, uh, I, it would be a nice swap, but uh, <laughs> I, Spurs play a little differently than we do. And 
I would hate to, for us to bring in another big name striker and him to struggle too, but that's a different topic for a different day. Sure. Um, so moving, like you guys have alluded to the title race, so let's talk about Liverpool here for a second. Uh, they faced Norwich City again on paper. You would think this would be a straightforward win for them, which it ended up being, but it wasn't without its own drama. And it went with Norwich going 1-0 up uh, in the second half and then Liverpool storming back with three goals from uh, Mane with the... Uh, Bicycle kick, if you want to call it that. Mo Salah getting assisted directly from Allison, uh, and then the new signing Luis Diaz scoring his his first goal at Anfield, and Liverpool win that three one. So, uh, Jackie, I'll let you run through the table here in a second, but that does open up uh, quite a, a race here that's going to unfold over the next few weeks and months. Uh, not sure if it's a race for us, but we'll be watching closely with Liverpool and Man City going head to head. Two teams that may turn into a top four race, Manchester United uh, and Wolves, and Manchester United focusing on them here for a second, beat Leeds 4-2. Uh, again, drama in that game too. Man United were two up. Leeds fight back to 2-2, but Leeds in true Leeds fashion can't hold back from their attacking and, and leave spaces and, and allow Manchester United to come back and win that 4-2. Uh, and then Wolves, guys, Jackie, we predicted, and I think... Uh, you may have said their manager was going to be one of the first ones to be fired this season, but he's doing a fine, fine job because if I remember right, if they win their next couple of games in hand, they could be like right in that fourth position, which no one would have expected. So they won 2-1 against Leicester today. Yeah, sometimes you wish you could turn back time and bite your tongue on certain things you said. But no, I, I mean, he's doing a fantastic job. Alex, any words on Leicester? Because... Looking to them last season, they were a very strong force, but this season, uh, not doing so hot. I, you know, I, he's, I he's going to mention much. someone from there. I, I don't want to take too much time, but <laughs> discussing it's a team that's so clearly not in our weight class. But I would just say, <laughs> Leicester, Leicester had their little peak when they they enjoyed a bit of beef with Chelsea, and they are firmly in the rearview mirror now and for the foreseeable future. <laughs> It's always nice to get Alex's honest thoughts on the podcast because it does prompt for a bit of a discussion. But no, good results from all around the Premier League. Let me run through the table really quickly, gents, and we'll move on to Champions League. But uh, top of the table, Manchester City, even though they lost, are sitting up there with 63 points. However, where it gets interesting, Liverpool have a game in hand and are sitting there with 57 points. So winning that game in hand brings down the gap to just three points. And Rahul... They have to play each other. I think that's something you told me. And so this could get very, very interesting towards the end of the season. Uh, Chelsea in third with 50 points, as you guys alluded to. We do have a game in hand over our closest rivals, Manchester United. But for all of the fun we poke at some of these rivals, Manchester United sitting not too far away from us in fourth with 46 points. So uh, there is there's still a chance in this top four race to get a little bit heated, as you guys have alluded to. Uh, West Ham with 42 points in fifth. Arsenal in and around there with few games in hand with 42 points uh, as well. Uh, 42 points as well. I'll go down to the bottom of the table because this keeps getting interesting. Uh, Norwich sitting in 20th with 17 points. Burnley in 19th with 17 points as well. But they have several games in hand. And Watford sitting in 18th with 18 points in hand. And Newcastle United, although they're sitting in 17th with 22 points, you have to look at Burnley with those games in hand. This could get very, very interesting. And I know we say this every week, gentlemen, but the Premier League is super tight at both ends of the table. Um, it's anybody's game going towards the end of the season. So 
something to keep in mind. But let's start talking about Champions League, as Alex alluded to. It's going to interfere with his classes, <laughs> but he says classes are interfering with Champions League week. I get that. Um, Rahul, take us through some of the new rules that are coming in the Champions League this season. Yeah, so we finished our group in second spot, Lille, where our opponents finished in top spot, which means the first game is at the bridge. Uh, if you think back to last season or previous seasons, that would be a significant piece in, in the tie between the two games because there were away goals. Those have been abolished or removed from the Champions League and all UEFA tournaments, uh, at least club tournaments, so which means teams just have to outright win their games or win at least one game and draw the next one over the uh, two fixtures. So it's an interesting take, but I'm not sure one that really needed to be tweaked with because I thought away goals added a little bit more drama. Obviously, when teams went away from home, they had to attack and at least get one goal, which seems like that's not the case now, especially looking back to the Real Madrid PSG game where Madrid were okay with going nil-nil. Uh, because they knew just taking it back home and winning that game would be enough. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And and do you think this is a rule or a change that will stick? Or is it something that UEFA is going to say? Mm, it's it's taking away from the excitement of the tournament. Obviously, it's adding more, uh, adding the potential of extra time and maybe more airtime and, and advertisements and money ultimately. But uh, it's taking away from teams playing that exciting or, or fun brand of football. So Jackie, I'll start with you. Yeah, look, I, I'm a fan of if it's not broken, don't fix it. I don't think too many people had ever complained about the away goals rule. And just like you alluded to, it did kind of ask some of the teams that were going to sit deep in their away games to come out and try and nick an away goal, which then forced the home team to come out all guns blazing and made for an exciting game. It also would be interesting to see somebody who had an away goal and go home and then say, uh, we're going to sit back and the other team's going to attack now. And it always seemed uh, interesting, especially when I was younger. I didn't always understand away goal rule. I was trying to do the math and said, if he has an away <laughs> goal, this team needs to. And it was interesting to just kind of play that. Um, I don't know how I feel about it necessarily. I didn't see any issues with it, but I'll turn it over to Alex. Maybe he's got some thoughts on it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a crazy radical change that's going to horribly change it. But certainly I, I agree with you in, you know, don't, you don't need to fix what's not broken. I don't think there was a crazy need for it. I mean, at the same time, I, I do, I kind of like the idea of penalties being the ultimate decider, not maybe for the sake of, of putting through the, the team that's played the best, but I, I mean, honestly, the, with any game, even with away goals, it's not always the most aesthetic or, or brilliant team who goes through. It's who squeaks in a goal when they're away from home, and then maybe they just defend well for 90 minutes. I don't think it's going to horribly alter it. I'm, I wouldn't have ever asked for this change, but I suppose I can see the, the silver lining of we will get some fun, dramatic second legs. And I think I think that's that's something maybe to look forward to. I think that could add a lot of excitement, you know, if a penalty shootout with champions league progress to the next round on the line would certainly be um, entertaining. I think maybe nerve wracking for those who aren't a neutral, um, but you know, I don't know. I, I'm not terribly bothered, but I certainly wouldn't have asked for this change. I, I wasn't looking for it, but I, I think it's, it's one that if they, if they revert it, they'll revert it. If they don't, I think maybe in a couple of years, we won't be talking about it, but I don't know. People, uh, People love to, to look back with nostalgia. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure there'll, there'll be a, 
emotional music and compilations of top 10 greatest away goal moments <laughs> in history. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I just honestly don't really have strong feelings one way or the other, but I, I do agree with you. It did seem a little weird that they changed this rule that no one was really begging them to change. Yeah, if you know out there why they changed that rule, feel free to comment and let us know or send us a message and let us know what the thinking was. But maybe Alex is right just to get some more penalty shootouts. And Rahul, like you said, for some advertising and airtime, maybe they're trying to drag this out. It's all about finances these days is what it sounds like. But back to the game for us, we're playing Lille. I think this is the first time we're playing Lille since 2019. Uh, Before this podcast kicked off, Rahul, actually, I think you said that was the only time we've played Lille in a Champions League format. Is that correct? That is correct, and it was uh, under Frank Lampard in his first season. Uh, we beat them 2-1 both times, home and away in the group stages. So uh, tough games they gave us at that time, and, and they obviously did win the league uh, last season. They currently sit in 11th. Uh, they've lost some players over the summer transfer window. So uh, it may seem like it's not going to be as tricky as, as, as it's, it's it would have been uh, maybe a season or so ago, but it's the Champions League and uh, Lille did win their group and they've earned the right to face us. Uh, so it should be an interesting time. Alex, for their group, they played Wolfsburg, Sevilla and RB Salzburg. With all due respect to those names, they're not the top teams in their respective leagues, specifically number one. Uh, they are good teams, but Lille winning the group, does that mean they are forced to be reckoned with or on paper would this be an easy tie for Chelsea? I don't, I don't think that, I don't think them winning the league means too much though. At the same time, I think maybe certainly more, more so in a two-legged knockout um, than in like a one-off game, but you still, it, it's not always a situation where the better team on paper comes out. And we, we know very well, that's the magic of the champions league. Um, you get some great upsets, you get some, some minnows, uh, taking the fight to some of the bigger teams. I'm, I'm not calling Lille Minos. I mean, in general, I think we saw, I'm forgetting what the name, I think it was Sheriff last right. season, who had some absolutely brilliant performances against Real Madrid. I remember culminating once in a, in a rocket of a winner against Real Madrid in something like the 90th minute, um, which was outstanding. Unfortunately, I think that one might've happened without fans in the stadium, uh, which is a shame, but you, you you see that it's not always who's better on paper who right. comes out with the result. And for that reason, I, I would see this as, as no different than Chelsea playing a mid-table Premier League side in that <laughs> we'll be very worried going in regardless of how good we think <laughs> our players are and how good we think Thomas Tuchel is. I, I think we're going to be nervous leading up to and throughout the match until we can get a few goals. No, that's a fair assessment. Like the Champions League, anybody can beat anybody. It's depending on the day, depending on the leg, could go to extra time. But before we get into all that fun details, we do have two legs to play. Rahul, take us through the TPC started at 11. Let us know who you think will start, and then we can do some score predictions and wrap up. Yeah, so I think Mendy keeps his spot. He's back. He's number one, so he stays. Uh, typically, we say back three. We're not sure what Tuchel's going to go with, but we think it will be a back three, uh, given that that was the formation and formula that won him this tournament last season. Uh, so I think Christensen, Thiago Silva, Rudiger uh, in the back three. We do have a final coming up on the, over the weekend, but I think he will put out his strongest lineup and see uh, what result we get here. Maybe we can close it up in one game. Not saying it will happen, but 
a strong team should help us uh, get a good result. So those three in the back, I think Aspie comes back. He missed out over due to an injury. Uh, Conte Kovacic in midfield, Alonso left wing back. And then Hakim Ziyech keeps his spot. I think Lukaku, Timo Werner, I'll see if you guys agree. I think Lukaku will play uh, along with Christian Pulisic on, on that left wing. Yeah, we'd love to see Christian Pulisic on that left wing so he gets a chance. Alex Lukaku, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, who leads the line for you? For me, I think uh, it's got to be Kai Havertz, in my opinion. Now, I think it's I mean, there's every chance it's Lukaku from what we've seen in, in these past games. But at this point, I just don't think we can afford to keep starting a player. And I hope, I hope, especially with how he was, I think, a little bit critical of Lukaku in the post-match conference. I hope Tuchel looks at that and says, seven touches in a game is not enough. Yes, we didn't give him the best service, but he's not working hard enough to deserve another start, even if he is the 100 million man, even if maybe the board is, is putting a little bit of pressure and saying, please try to get the best out of this player we bought so we don't look like fools. I think hopefully... Tuchel bites the bullet and says one of Timo Werner, if he's fit and ready or Kai Havertz has to start centrally because that's an issue I had with this, this last game against crystal palace. If you just, and, and I know Lukaku could be good on his day. I know he scored those goals. Um, frankly, easy finishes, but, but he scored the goals in the club world cup, but I I'm just looking at that lineup and how we were kind of underwhelming in the tack and saying, if you take Lukaku out of the equation, who frankly just offered nothing, and you put Kai Havertz centrally, Polisic in his natural left-wing position, and Kovacic in midfield, who can progress the ball very similarly to Polisic, but prob- probably, I mean, I would say definitely better centrally because that's where he's used to playing. Um, you, have, you still have the ball progression dribbling type like you did with Polisic centrally, but you get a more dangerous left wing um, who's used to being on the left wing and a more dynamic center forward. And then you've got an inform Hakeem Ziyech on the right. So for me, it's Ziyech, Havertz, Pulisic. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of hoping for a Pulisic left wing start and a Lukaku bench start, but you know, maybe, maybe this is the game. And in that way, maybe you say, hey, you, you could pass it off as resting Lukaku for, for Liverpool, sure. but also give Kai a chance to, to get on the score sheet. I don't know. Um, but for me, it's it's Ziyech, Havertz, Pulisic. I just think that's our most effective potential front three uh, based on form for Ziyech, uh, historical effectiveness at left wing for Pulisic, and Kai Havertz probably being able to get eight touches on the ball at least. You took me on a journey there, Alex, from being nervous to solidifying this lineup and talking about the play of Kovacic, Pulisic, and Havertz. What scoreline do you go with for this game? I'm personally going with a 2-0 win for Chelsea. Um, I'm not going to go in crazy overconfident, but I think I think with our dynamic attack, and maybe that's a situation where we're playing to the strengths. And as you guys have mentioned, we're, we're not putting those balls in early to the striker. We're not putting in those, those cutting passes. So maybe we say, you know what, if we're attacking a li- with a little more slow, calculated buildup, we need those more technical, dynamic players who can sort of pass it around, open scoring gaps and create scoring chances. And so for me, with that front three, Ziyech, Havertz, Pulisic, we're getting a 2-0 win. At least, I think they have what it takes. I think they're going to be itching to put out a good performance. 
Um, Pulisic, especially in his natural position, we know what he can do. Uh, so 2-0 for me. I too will echo the 2-0. I think that we have enough in the tank to get those goals and hopefully keep a clean sheet. Rahul, give us your predicted lineup and maybe take us home. Yeah, I think we're going to win two. We've not lost in the Champions League. We've lost one game out of 10 uh, against French opposition at the bridge, which was PSG in 2016. So I think it bodes well for us. Uh, and given that you two have also predicted wins, and, and I, I agree with um, Alex, I was going to say with Kai Havertz, with Alex, uh, that he, Kai comes in and we kind of get a more better and dynamic attack uh, with Ziyech and Pulisic on either side. So it'll be good to build some confidence, get a couple of goals ahead of the final and, and um, solidify, obviously, our position here. So we'll see how that plays out. And that game is on uh, Tuesday afternoon. So we'll be watching and hopefully we can throw up some stories in Alex's a- absence while he's in class, focusing only on class. Uh But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Channels on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Channels. And as always, send us your feedback, and we will be back with a new episode later this week. But until then, stay safe and up the Channels.